0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, creators of the annual Brewer's Retreat. To brew on the main coast June 9th through 12th with legends like Vinny Salerzo of Russian River, get tickets now at brewersretreat.com. Welcome to the Craft Beer Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guest today is someone else who's going to be brewing with us up at the Brewer's Retreat in Maine this June, Sam Richardson of Other Half Brewing. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Sam. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Cool. Uh, before we get started, uh, it's our sponsors that make it possible for us to bring you these conversations every week, and we appreciate their support. As the uh, brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, g and Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and dedication to their customers' craft. For 25 years GD has led the way on custom innovative solutions that match brewing customers immediate and future needs. Thinking outside of the box, whether it's a simple relocation of the utility connections for a complex build up or ground level design and engineering, GD is ready to meet the challenge. Contact GD Chillers today for your chiller sizing needs at 800-555-0973 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. Also episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, host of Homebrew a three-day event celebrating the best hobby there is. Visit homebrewcon.org to learn more. We're sitting in the old taproom for other half, a uh, what seems uh, like a piece of history now for you as you've kind of expanded up and around it. Um, give me a little bit of that story about how you got into brewing and uh, what led you to this point here uh, to, to you know, keep this business making beer out here uh, in a corner of Brooklyn next to the Gowanus Canal,
1: um, and what continues to motivate you now, Sam? So I, I started, uh, I'm actually from Oregon originally, I grew up in yeah. Portland, and a good friend and I started home brewing when I was 19, 20, and we didn't do, I have, to, I have to admit, I didn't do a lot of home brewing. We started doing it and I was immediately frustrated with how inefficient it was, and we probably did. Six seven batches of beer, and I uh, hadn't really decided what I wanted to do with my with my life, and <clears throat> I, I found it as a good opportunity to go learn about it in school. And being in Oregon is a is a good advantage because Oregon State has fermentation science as part of their food science department. So I just up and decided to do that. And six batches
0: in, you're going to
1: going to go to school for it? Yeah, I mean. I'm I'm not the kind of person that likes to just sit around. Yeah. And I didn't want to have I didn't want to end up doing an office job. I wanted to do something where it was physical but also creative and uh, it just seemed like the perfect opportunity. And growing sure. up growing up in Oregon, which at that, you know, that was definitely the epicenter of craft beer or one of the major epicenters of craft beer, so it was in our it was in our faces all the time. And I just it just seemed like the right thing to do. And I I mean I've never regretted it. Yeah. It was it was definitely the right decision, and I had some moments. I had some moments where I was unsure. I mean, it's not always it's not always easy being, being a being a brewer, and not every craft brewing job is as exciting as it seems. But um, you know, we. I, I just I have no regrets. It's definitely the right choice. So I, I basically started, um, started the fermentation science program finished it, and then I got a job working at a brew pub chain in Seattle. And I was there for about a year, and I left that to go back to Portland, and I worked for Pyramid in Portland for three years. And then how I ended up in New York, uh, my wife is from New York originally. We were out here visiting family, and there was a random job posting for head brewer uh, at Greenpoint Beer Works in Brooklyn, which is very rare. Sure. I mean, there sure. was four breweries in New York City at the time, and what year was that? 2007.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I lived in New York City in 2007, and uh, yeah, I remember it was Kelso and Six Point, and yeah, not, Brooklyn and, yeah. and Chelsea. <laughs> I mean, there was there yeah, was no yeah.
1: breweries, and so I just you know like I said I had to take yeah. that opportunity, and so I d- I did the interview and yeah, thanks for starting all this after I left the city. I appreciate all of that. <laughs> Um, yeah. but you know, I got the job and was here about a month afterwards and I've been here ever since about, about six years in. Um, I, w- I actually was a head brewer at Greenpoint for six years. It was, uh, it was a pretty interesting job because we actually, uh, aside from making Kelso and Heartland beers, we were also making beers for six point Southampton, Great South Bay, uh, Coney Island we we had a whole we had a a pretty full roster and so I got to meet a lot of the local characters and really get really engaged in the local beer scene here over that time and I think it was a good platform for us to launch our own brand because I already had a you know I had a lot of I had a lot of access to people and I think that's that's really key.
0: Then you decided to start your own business with uh, with two partners and uh, I guess in 2013 you put it together and then opened in 2014.
1: Yeah, we actually, you know, we signed the lease on our place in 2012. Oh, wow. It, okay. it takes a long time to accomplish things in New York. Yeah. And I think, you know, first off, people don't do manufacturing in New York City anymore. It's not, it it doesn't make sense. Right. It's not cost effective and we are manufacturing. Yeah. Um, But we're a little bit different type of manufacturing. Sure, sure. We're more engaged with we're more engaged directly with people, and but you know the biggest problem in New York is that nobody knows how to zone properly. Zone breweries. They want you to be in these crazy industrial locations, yeah. and no brewery wants that. Everybody's trying to sure. be in lighter lighter industrial zones, and so the struggle is to get through zoning. Right. Variances with the Department of Buildings. It took us a year and a half to get open, basically, yeah, yeah. and we there was probably three months of construction work to be done, and it still took us a year and a half. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that that's like a that was a that was a it was a difficult thing for us to get through. Right. I mean, right. we basically went unpaid for a year and a half because we we couldn't you know we didn't want to we didn't want to ask for more money from investors and yeah. we didn't want to we didn't want to you know damaged the company before we opened so we basically just damaged our own mm. but you know we made it it was worth it right i mean that's that's what opening a business is about it's hard sure sure
0: so when you opened other half uh, there seems to have been from the start a real clear aesthetic vision for a different kind of brewery both in the way that you sell beer and in the way that you design and uh you know in the beers that you produce which are um you know have some you know common threads through them uh, that are definitely on that progressive side. Tell me a little bit about how wh- how you envisioned that and uh, how you decided to make the beers that uh, you know that you're now known for.
1: So out the gate, we wanted to make IPA because it was really something that wasn't being made in in great quantity here. Yeah. Having grown up on the on the West Coast, it was something that was that was everywhere. I mean, everybody sure. just that's what you that's what you would drink. And so I wanted to start out really strong with IPA and the other thing that we were pretty serious about was branding. We wanted to change the way that, that our beers were branded because, um, a lot of that I would, you know, probably my wife's contribution to our vision is that, you know, she owned our gallery for 12 years. And I think that really changed the way I looked, looked at, um, how we would brand what we're doing. I wanted to have a cleaner aesthetic. Um, you know, we don't have, uh, There's there's no part of our design that really always continues through to another label, but other than having our logo on there, right? But you can tell it's another half label still. Sure. And that was kind of that was kind of a goal that we had with designers from the beginning was to make a cohesive brand that, but that was always different.
0: That seems to carry through into the actual beer itself, you know, too, and uh, that kind of uh, contemporary, forward-looking let's make something in a different style, in a style that uh, isn't really being made right now and see where we can, uh, you know, push this, Um, you know, creates kind of a cohesiveness between even that visual brand image and what's inside the can. And they are cans. Um, You know, tell, tell me a little bit about how you got into that kind of forward thinking, I won't call it maybe New England or hazy style IPA. Um, but really, that you know, that focus on flavor more than bitterness in those IPAs, which you know, in twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, and so that was still very, very early days for that kind of, of style of IPA, and you know, new hops were still coming online that made this kind of thing possible. Looking back at it now, it seems like a no brainer. But hindsight's twenty twenty at the time had to be, uh, and you know, there was some was something new to even try to focus brewery around uh, you know, kind of budding nascent style.
1: you know, I would say one of the things that was most important in our decision was actually listening to the customers. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think that out of the gate, that was something we had in mind. Hmm. I think that, you know, craft beer had been, um, brewers, brewers like to, you know, dictate what they make. Like they're people get into beer because they want to make the beers they want to make. Right. And, I'm no different, but you also have to listen to what, you know, your business at that point, you have to listen to what the customers are are asking for. And so I just think that over time we tweaked it to get it into the beers that we love, um, tweak it to get it into the range of what our customers were also asking for. And it's actually, I mean, for me, it's a big learning experience because, um, you take a lot of things for granted, right? You know, people just assume, Oh, you know, people like West coast IPA, we're going to make West coast IPA. But if you're not, if you're not really aware, if you're not listening, you know, people will tell you what they want. And I don't think, I don't think I was that aware of, of how strong that was. Well, actually to be fair, I think the the business changed five years ago anyways. Hmm. I don't think brewers really knew what customers wanted until uh, really the advent of, Things like Rapier and Beer Advocate earlier on, sure, and sure. then five years ago, I would say Instagram and uh, apps like Untapped. Th- instead of it being at your computer, it was at your phone. Yeah. So people were mobile with it, and you know we see what people's responses are almost instantly to a new beer. I mean, yeah. I can, within we can release a beer, and ten minutes later, I know whether people <laughs> hate it. Or, yeah, or love yeah. it. And, so do you
0: do that? You sit on untapped and watch people rating the beer uh, you know, within a half hour of when you release it?
1: Well, I mean, I don't, I don't obsessively <laughs> look at it, but I check it because, hey. because I, we're, not, we're not doing our due diligence on right, trying right. to make better products if we don't look and see what people are excited about. And right. we will always make, you know, right now the push is for, is for New England IPA, for adjunct beers, and those are, honestly, those are kind of pushing the envelope on a lot of those, like we, we throw some stuff into beer that we're not hundred percent sure it's going to be great when we do it, but yeah. we want to, t- we want to take that risk because yeah. it's, it is creating a unique product. And I still love to make things like Pilsners and Hellas, right. you know, even West coast IPA. But, um, you know, those are, we all know how to do that. I mean, I've been brewing for 17 years now. If I can't figure out how to make a Pilsner, yeah, but it, how do I how do I make a sour beer with fruit and graham cracker? Yeah, tastes good. I mean, that's not for everybody. I get it. Not everybody that not everybody's going to want to drink that beer. But at at the end, when we make something that is interesting and tastes good, and people are excited about, like, I feel really good about that. I feel like we kind of accomplished something that is new and creative. And, you know, I would say that I would say that the social media culture has allowed that to flourish. Yeah.
0: It does sound like there's a, a good, you know, like a circular feedback loop around that process. But and the other point that I think a lot of, you know, folks, you know, brewers have different opinions on is there are some brewers that for the rest of their career would love to hone and make one beer and perfect that. And then there are a whole lot of other brewers who'd get pretty bored if that was the rest of their life, you know, in the next several decades of their career only brewing one beer. And it seems like you all, try to balance that a little bit and uh, both keep it fun for yourself and for your consumers. Um, How how challenging, though, is it to keep up with what those customers demand? Because now what we've seen, you know, and, and when we look at craft beer culture, the thing that drew most people into craft beer is this idea of exploration and adventure. I mean, this is the reason that a lot of people even drink craft beer and aren't drinking macro beer. And so you start looking at that kind of psychology of a craft beer consumer. They're immediately someone who likes to try new things and different things. And so the beer world is kind of, you know, pumped steroids into that kind of mentality with that check-in culture and new beers all the time. But that creates pressure for you, you know, owning, operating a brewery, to be feeding into that same kind of thing. And, uh, you know, while there are some brewers that decry it and they, they, they hate this kind of culture of always new. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to tell a consumer, you know, who now been cultured and conditioned to enjoy that part of craft beer that they shouldn't be doing that. Um, you know, but then creating new things all the time has to be a gigantic pain in the ass for you.
1: Uh, <laughs> how do you manage that? And what does that creative process look like for you? It is, it is a lot of work. I'm, I mean, I, It's the volume, the volume of, of just label production is (laughs) it's, it's a lot and it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure on our company, but you know, we've built in systems to try to, to like make that work. And honestly, I, I love it. Like the opportunity to just keep making new things. Um, I mean, I, when I worked at pyramid, I probably made, you know, 200,000 barrels of pyramid hef. like honestly, that's not that that's not that entertaining yeah and yeah i've uh i would rather i would rather push the envelope make weird beers and see and see how they see how they land i just think it's a lot more fun and you know like i said i get it not everybody likes wacky flavored beers. some people just want a good traditional hellas right and we will always as a brewery make those things but we can't we're not going to make large quantity of it because that's not what our focus is and it's also not really what what is selling beer right now right and we've i guess what we've always tried to do is try to keep creating enough volume in our brewery that we can go back we can make we can make our ipas we can make the the you know fruited sours and stouts and the more of those we make the more freedom it gives us in the back end to make some of the more traditional styles right and those sell really great in our tap room. they just don't, they don't move in cans.
0: <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about your creative process in a second. But, uh, but first, uh, great beers are made from select ingredients. With BSG, you'll bring the world to your brew house with an unparalleled and diverse selection of ingredients from across the globe to just down the road. Their dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need every step of the way. Let BSG be your supplier of choice for products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. For more information, visit them at bsgcraftbrewing.com or call them at 1-800-374-2739. Also, PacTech delivers the highest quality and most environmentally responsible packaging handles to the craft beer industry. PacTech handles are made from 100% post-consumer recycled material and are repurposed from milk jugs and similar containers. They're easy to carry and remove handles, feature a minimalistic design that perfectly complement your beverage artwork, eliminating the need for secondary packaging. Apply by hand or with automated applicators. Their packaging solutions deliver better market presence, enhanced consumer value, environmental awareness, and improved sales. PACTIC handles are the smart and sustainable choice. Contact them today at 541 541- 541 Four six one five thousand. Visit their website at www.packtech That's p a k t e c h dash o p i it was a, it was a, you know, happy accident that you guys use all of the products from our sponsors. Uh, so <laughs> true, true. <laughs> so it just worked out nicely that way. Um, let's talk about that creative process. You know, we're we're sitting here in your old tap room and we're surrounded by the uh, lemons that have uh, some of which have been zested. You're you have got a bunch of experiments going with different kinds of ingredients. Um, how do you take, uh, you know, first to develop those ideas, and then what does your process look like in terms of evaluating some of these ideas? How to add ingredients to the beer, when to add them, um, you know how you again learn from that process and then improve, uh, you know, as you go with these specific ingredients.
1: So I have a I have a really great advantage here is that m- both of my partners were chefs prior to this. So and, and actually we have a few other people on staff too that that have worked. I mean, they all worked at Michelin star high end restaurants. They very savvy yeah. chefs and. Um, we have a lot of discussions about the best way to get flavors into beers and we're pretty, you know, we're very focused on using real ingredients. Like when we make Imperial stouts that we put nuts in, like we're buying, we're buying nuts and toasting them in house and adding them into the beer. And really we're just looking for the best way to get, I would say primarily aromatics out of it, hmm. but then also cause that, that lends to people's perception of flavor Right. Like, that like having a very aromatic beer um and and this also extends to you know ipa is having aromatics is strongly affects people's perception in a way that you know it it's how you how you make a soft beer yeah right you don't want to have you don't want to be so aggressive on the on the flavor profile that it's you know uh resinous or overly bitter you want people to really pick up that the aromatics on the nose and it, but that's you know that's, that's how a, a lot of that's yeah. a lot of how we look at it it's like uh, aromas and textures i think that there's a lot more focus right now in craft beer on the texture of beer and i don't think that that wasn't really the case before not yeah. not as heavily as it is right now everybody's trying to figure out how to create different mouthfeels how to balance things out to make you know like a lot of the sours are a lot more balanced than they used to be yeah and i think that that's just that's again that's the that's the general public being like hey i love these styles but i want it to be more balanced and i think that a lot of people are just in general are heading that direction um but mouthfeel mouthfeel like hear that over and over again everybody everybody wants to constantly describe the mouthfeel of a beer and how good it is that and you, then then you realize how important that is to people right so.
0: that becomes uh, you know even for the the kind of consumer that's buying you know your beers whether that's a soft IPA or whether that's a uh, super thick imperial style with uh, you know all sorts of ingredients um, that becomes that that first thing that you know You'll if you read those reviews that uh, that a consumers gonna mention. Yep, they're gonna mention it was so thick so thick yep. um, uh, You know, they don't necessarily mention the aroma as much although they don't realize that what that's doing and you know but I, I like that idea that uh, aromas is an additional way to balance out, you know, other potentially strong flavors in that beer um, how do you maintain aroma through your brewing process? You know, I mean, that's I think one of the biggest challenges that that brewers, you know, making hoppy beers, you know, face. And of course, you know, any beer that you know depends on that kind of aroma um, at every moment throughout the production process. You know, those aromas are are trying to get out of that beer. You know, the you're producing co2 and every time you do that that's that's trying to scrub aroma straight out of your beer what do you you know what how do you keep all of these things that you work so hard to create in the beer and uh you know not let them uh, escape and, and turn into you know kind of blandness
1: yeah i mean you you definitely that's why that's why dry hopping has become so popular yeah you know you really are trapping a lot more of the aromas um you know a hard one a hard one for us you know i think we lose we lose some of our aromatics carbonating the beer we yeah. don't you know we're we're in a tight space we can't just sit on beer and let it let it carbonate for f- 5 days under pressure like we have to force carbonate it to get it done right um just because we just don't have space like i don't have extra tank space for yeah. that kind of thing yeah. in brooklyn it's the, you know our square footage is small compared to what most breweries sure. that sure. our size work in um so we struggle a little bit with that, but you know, I guess we make up for it by just using a lot of hops. (laughs) Um, yeah. And yeah, that's, that's, that's really for us the only way we can manage that. Yeah. Do you, uh, you know, when, when you
0: dry hop, um, you you know, do you, have you developed some techniques that are particularly good at, at, kind of, you know, keeping that aromatic feel in the beer itself? Um, you opening tanks and dropping them in or are you, uh, you know, using some strategies that, that,
1: uh, you know, yeah, help we, keep that inside. We go ahead and just use, we have a dry hop port in the top of the tank. Yeah. We've, we've played around with recirculating hops. Yeah. I just, for me, that pulls out some astringencies I don't like. Okay. So we've always just stuck with throwing hops in and I think we, I think we get good results. I'm happy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I try to anything anything we can do to avoid pulling out green character from hops. I try to do.
0: Are there specific hops that uh, give
1: you less green character that uh, you know that you tend to
0: go back to because of uh, of how they work in the in your dry hopping?
1: For the most part, all hops eventually will mellow out. Yeah, and I think that you know we're not really focused we're we're focused on using a variety of hops right that's one thing we've always done is use a broad spectrum of hops one because we love them like right. i love i mean there's a lot of varieties we don't get to brew with that much that i love because they're just not that popular but they will all eventually hit a good spot and you know we have a we have a pretty we have a pretty aggressive packing s- schedule i mean we don't we really can't wait. We just don't have the space. Yeah. And so we package beers and sometimes they're probably a little, some, some of them are perfect. Some of them are greener than we want when they get packaged. But I think a lot of our customer base knows if they buy the beer and wait a week, it's going to start hitting its stride and they all do that. Some, some faster than others. I mean, you know, sometimes galaxy can, you have to be patient with that one. It's a, it's very high alpha, very aggressive. Yeah. But it mellows it mellows into such a great spot when it's when it's you know yeah. when it gets there it's great. So
0: you guys use any biotransformation uh, you know, effects? Are you uh, dry hopping before
1: the end of fermentation or uh, do you do you finish them off and then dry hop? I mean we usually we usually are dry hopping pretty much right at the tail end. Okay. We usually catch a you know, usually we'll still have some drop in gravity after we dry hop and part of that could be uh enzymatic reactions sure. from the hops but uh i mean i think that you know you could throw them in earlier but i don't like to harvest yeast off of tanks that yeah. have hops yeah. in them already so we kind of try to time it to get that harvesting done and add the hops right at the tail end and it works i think it works great for us never you know never really had a, a problem with it yeah um, and I assume you just, you know, uh, keep it typical
0: fermentation temps in the, the high 60s, low 70s when you're, when you're dry hopping.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that, there's not a whole lot of, like, there's not a whole lot of yeah. secrets about it. I think everybody everybody's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Sure, and then, sure. At, when, at the end of the day, everybody's doing the same thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe slight tweaks here and there, but um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's funny because I think a lot of people assume that there's different things happening and, and honestly brewery to brewery people are doing very similar things but end up with different results yeah and I'm not I'm, I'm never sure where that comes from I right. always it's that's that's one thing I'm always very curious about you know and that's that's why I ask these questions because you're right like everyone you know professionally brewers
0: are sharing their techniques and their approach and uh, you know and still you're right getting wildly different uh, results at times from doing the same kinds of things um you know if someone else was trying to use henry from dry hop regimen like it just wouldn't produce the same kind of beer because um, i've had those yeah <laughs> it's just you know and, and you know but but drinking your beer there's still some there's a soft quality to it and an integrated quality to that kind of dry hopping that is harder to find and, and you know, even some of your contemporaries here in new york city um you know had can you you can't put any point on what it is that that helps you know pull that together in a in such a cohesive way
1: no Where's i mean that? the the one thing the one thing we do and i don't i don't know how many people um that drink these styles of beer know this but there's like an early on an early perception that the style of ipa was just lazy brewing yeah and we centrifuge every single beer that comes out of here. Mm. So there's intentionality behind it. Right. Like we have a, we have a vision of what we want the beer to look like at the end. And, uh, you know, we, every beer, I think we probably do get some benefit from centrifuging it. It kind of cleans up. It kind of cleans the beer up a little bit and we still have hazy IPA. It's not right. It's not coming out clear. Um, (laughs) so, but I I think sure no that's a misconception I mean if you if you left yeast in
0: the beer like it wouldn't stay in suspension and then and then it drops out then it pulls out that hops character because you know those yeast particles grab on those little polyphenols
1: and yeah you can you know you can tell the difference you can always tell if you if you open a month old can of New England style IPA and there's sediment at the bottom you know that there was still some yeast in suspension but you can open up these these beers in a month a month after and there's nothing in the bottom of the can but it's still a very hazy beer. Yeah. So uh, it's yeah, I I think that there's a lot of misconception about it. Right. Pe- I think people are coming around and understanding that like
0: Yeah, well, yeah. Do you do you have any you, uh, any mash
1: strategies to, you know,
0: produce that kind of state uh, haze stability in the beer? You guys step mash or uh No. no. Well. <laughs> nope. Well, all right then. <laughs> Keep it simple. Just
1: uh you know, varying quantities of,
0: of wheat and oats
1: depending on the beer or Yeah, we 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 use a lot of oats and we use some wheat and I, I that definitely contributes but um it's, I think it's I do think it's just biotransformation and the volume of hops we're using. There's just a lot of there's a lot of material in the beer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your favorite hops combinations?
0: You know, you uh, you know, other brewers that I've talked to um, have sung your praises in terms of being able to evaluate and you know build blends when they've collaborated with you. And uh, so you've you've developed a reputation for being uh, particularly good at uh, you know at rubbing hops and you know figuring out blends that uh, produce great beers. Um, you know, wow, that's uh, that's well, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm mean, not just trying to, you know, fluff it up, but I mean, I have had brewers tell me that like, you know, Sam came in here, we rubbed some hops and I mean, you know, we put it together and it was just a fantastic combination, you know, that, uh, um, you know, but from your perspective, how do you, how'd you build that, um, that skill, that talent, that experience? And then, you know, what have you found in doing that, that you know, that you particularly like, or that you, you know, as you're evaluating hops, uh, how you make some decisions about what to use, and what not to use?
1: I mean that all starts. That all starts with hop selection, and that's something that we've been trying to be as involved with as possible from the get-go. You really only get to select hops at a certain volume, so uh, it, it does pay to be slightly bigger. Yeah, and that's been a, a big motivator for us. Is that we can we can you know people automatically assume as you get bigger that you're gonna uh, they're gonna start falling off. The beer's not gonna be as good, but honestly. Um, when you have good systems in place, and you know we have we have a tremendous brew staff here that really knocks it out of the park yeah. all the time, and when you have that in place, you're you're good. And then it's yeah. really sourcing your ingredients, and being I
0: think that point gets lost on a lot of your consumers, you know, and beer consumers in general. That uh, like you say, they expect, oh, they got so big and they're not paying attention, but you know, you have to do a certain volume and then your order in line to choose hops is based on that kind of, you know, how much business you do. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, right. Being, you know, how how many
1: barrels do you all produce generally a year now? We did 14,000 barrels last year
0: out of this tiny brewery Mm -hmm. here in Brooklyn.
1: Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yep. Like I said, we have, I mean, this is, this is what I, this is why I was just saying our brew staff's (laughs) incredible because the space, the space here is, intense they deal we've been trying to continually upgrade the brewery and there's a lot of construction going on around them while they're trying to work it's it's not always the easiest work environment sure sure and i i think they make magic happen here and uh it's you know it's important to have that like i said once you have that the consist the consistency of your brand is about your people yeah um and i think we're good on that and like I said so then my my job is to make sure that we're selecting the best ingredients, the best hops. Yeah. And you know like I said with my partners, their chefs, we they are very help they're very useful in helping us evaluate kind of some of the adjuncts we add into beers and then on the hop end of things, we go to Yakima every year and we select you know, we select as many hops as they'll let us. You know, whatever yeah. varieties they'll let us get our hands on, we do and We, sometimes we, you know, like last year we, we rubbed hops with the, with the crew from Burial and Stillwater and Cloudwater and they all just, they came to our selection because they wanted to see what we were getting and just, but you know, having this, having these opportunities for us to all be in the same room, rubbing hops, talking about it, that's invaluable. Um, but not all hops are the same. Yeah. And it's, it really... It's incredibly important, I think people underestimate the importance of being able to to select your own hops, so um. when you're selecting are you
0: uh, you know and, and various brewers select with different things in mind, you know talking to you know Wayne from cigar city like he's uh, you know mentioned that he's looking for a very tight range. Uh, and exactly the, the the type of this variety that they started brewing, you know, with initially and only wants to, you know, that, it doesn't matter if it's a better or good or, you know, they have some objective uh, uh, reaction to, the, you know, uh, certain lots from this variety. If it's not to that spec, he doesn't want those hops. And then there are, you know, certainly other other brewers I've talked to have that, you know, if we find this fantastic lot, even if it's only a smaller amount and we can't get a whole bunch of it, we, you know, we'll buy it and make something special with
1: it. Um, you know, what kind of philosophy do you take around, around selecting hops in that way? Yeah, we always try to just select what we think is the best. Yeah. Um, I, as much as I want consistency of the beers throughout the year, honestly, if we can get a lot of citra that's the best lot I've ever experienced, but we can only get one palate of it and it's yeah. only going to last us a month, all right, well, we're going to do the best citrus beers we've ever done for the month. <coughs> but, yeah, we're but we're we're in a position where our customer is... I don't know that they're as sensitive to slight changes. Yeah. It's more about is it good or not. People just want really good beer. And I don't think, you know, if we get two different citra lots, is the difference so much that people are going to be annoyed that it tastes a little different? I don't think so. But when they have that one lot that's incredible, they're going to remember that one because it, it does make that much of a difference. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we don't, doesn't screw you up later on when they have the next batch like this one not as good as the, uh, the last one. I'm willing to risk that, <laughs> you know, like yeah, you don't want to yeah. pass, you don't want to pass up on something that's right, incredible. Right. And I, I always, I always feel that way. Like you just want, I always want to just have the best hops we can yeah. get. And that's, you know, I, when we, when we look at, when we look at hops, I'm looking for, I don't even care if the hop, like for for example, our Simcoe we selected this year and last year. I wouldn't I would not call it traditional Simcoe. Like what yeah. I what I rem- what I've always experienced from Simcoe is not in this hop, but it's such a unique, amazing expression of what Simcoe is or could be that we had to we we're like this is this is the one for us, because we're looking for we're looking for more soft fruit forward flavors from the hops. Yeah. And you know, you're going to, when you go to sit in a room and select hops, you're going to get some that are more diesel character, more, more unctuous, like garlic onion character. And then you're going to get some that are just really fruit forward. And for us, that was the ones we want, but every brewery is different. I know I, there are a lot of breweries that kind of like the more aggressive, dank diesel right. versions. And that's why everybody makes different beers. Yeah. So, uh, I, we we have our vision and it works for us and that's what we sit in the room and look for is how do we get these like juicy, sweet, soft, hop aromas.
0: Um, do you work... I, I assume, you know, like a lot of breweries, you work off of, you know, common base recipes and are, are you know, uh, you know, changing a few things here for each of these new releases, but you can, by doing that, still build an experience with, with those kinds of base beers. How many different, uh, you know, say... Base IPA, double IPA, kind of you know recipes. Do you work from, and how do you make some decisions about how to, you know, take those whether you add uh, you know a lactose component to it or how you tweak those various variables, and then come up with something that's also new and interesting but built off of that experience that you have.
1: Honestly, we don't have that many base recipes. No. Like I'm sure our brew staff would love it if I streamlined it a little better, but I, I tend to tweak things a lot. Yeah, we do have some. We do have some series. You just keep creating new recipes all the time? Yeah, I I mean, I feel like I'm always <laughs> looking for ways yeah, to improve yeah. it or change it. I mean, I feel like if we're presenting a new beer to people, I want it to feel like a new beer. Yeah. And so yeah, we'll we'll change the grain bill. It's but you know, these are it's like a constant opportunity for us to experiment <clears throat> and see if we can find something that we like better. Yeah. Um but this goes back to the whole discussion of, you know, new for everybody. I kind of, I guess I kind of fall into that culture too. Like I want to make, I want to do new stuff. I want to try new things and we're, we're constantly doing that. So, yeah.
0: Um, let's go back and talk about, you know, some of the, the stout ingredients a little bit, you know, we've, we've gotten our, our hops out of the way here. I think, um, you know, uh, like I said, you know, you, you all are, you know figuring out how to add some of these ingredients whether you're talking about toasted nuts you know earlier um can be really challenging into a beer uh and and you all uh they can also create terrible results especially as the oils and some of these things start to uh, you know fighting with that very core of the beer um you know have, what, what kind of methods for adding things like nuts into your into your beers have you found to to kind of give you better
1: results uh usually i mean the basically i mean the best way to add in is cold side yeah it's where it's where you're going to get the most character out of them okay so that's, that's what we do with a lot of these things there's a little more risk involved cuz <laughs> yeah, cuz yeah. you're adding a nut into a basically a finished beer but that's that's you know that, that's, that's yeah, the how, best do you, way. how do you
0: how uh, do you you know sterilize or pasteurize that before uh, before you throw it into your beer and, and not kill the whole thing off? Heat. Yeah. Yeah. You, toasting is enough to, to do it, or are you? Uh, maybe. Oh, oh. Okay. I mean, this is this is this <laughs> is enough, the, this is enough. the thing. I think
1: that yeah. uh, a lot of people n- need to understand with these beers is that uh, I I wouldn't age an adjunct stout for a very long time
0: from a consumer side. Yeah, yeah, I mean
1: it's not that's not what they're made for and right. I, I think there's always there's always misconceptions about how long beer in any any beer in any packaging style should be stored for. I mean, yeah. People think that they can hold in the crowlers like it's, no, crowlers drink that right away. That's yeah. not that's not a that's not an ideally packaged product. Um with the stouts, I mean, I feel relatively um I feel relatively comfortable that if people drink any of those within six months, they're not going to have a problem. Yeah. But, um, you, you really shouldn't be aging Imperial stouts that are adjuncted. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you can age Imperial stouts that are not, um, and a lot of the barrel stuff too, but you know, you're going to, those favors, those flavors are going to fade over time anyway. Yeah. So it's really better to, to drink them in the first six months. Yeah. I think, for most beers, especially for stouts, uh, aging is completely
0: overrated and that, uh, you know, unless you really like that kind of raisiny Belgian character that's going to start coming out after a few years, most people don't look for that in their stouts. And so, you, you know, um, that does raise a question, though, and I, and I, I think philosophically speaking, you know, you, we do find a lot of brewers, you know, on that more traditional conservative side who say, you know, you have a duty to your consumer to make sure that this beer has longevity when you package it, and if you're going to sell it to them that way, you know, then, uh, then it's your responsibility to make sure that it's right. Um, you know, on the flip side, I think most consumers today are both comfortable and not comfortable with that concept. They're comfortable with the concept of, I know my IPA should be drunk within, you know, probably four to eight weeks, you know, in order for it to be ideal. And then after that, it's, you know, probably going to fall off. Um, you know, especially as they're buying cans and they've been kind of conditioned around that, uh, maybe a little bit different, you know, in that, in that world of stouts where, um, you know and then they you still have to balance that idea of some are buying to trade and some are, you know, are, are swapping them and sitting around the country. Uh, but these things aren't necessarily made for that kind of transit although you know you' you're you kind of depend upon that to you know, keep moving the kind of volumes of beer that you do. How do you, how do you balance that expectation from a consumer you know and that integrity of the package? Um, while at the same time continuing
1: to you know push boundaries and do new things well uh, first off i'm just going to address the age of beer thing okay. I, I mean i think people were conditioned to think it's okay for beer to be 6 months old i, I think that's that's ridiculous we're yeah. only people are people are trying to achieve stability in these beers for the distro market right. and the distro market's not really good for beer it's just not it's yeah. too it, you know Really large breweries are trying to fill the pipeline for like five to six months out. Yeah. And I don't want my beer to be six months, five or six months old when it goes to a shelf. That's, I don't, I don't want that. That's not, that's not right. I don't think it's right. I mean,
0: I think you're right. And I think that idea that beer should be that way is an idea that was conditioned by those large brewers Absolutely. and why do we why do any of us need to play by those rules just because that's the way they did it to serve you know serve their business
1: yeah to be clear i'm not being critical sure. of them i sure. i understand why that system is in place and how it works i mean yeah. it, it has to be that way right right but we don't operate in that But system. it doesn't have to be the only way it, it doesn't have to be the only way yeah. so we're we're you know for me i like i i feel i feel very confident that people can hold on to our ipas for three or four months and they're still gonna they're still gonna taste great they're gonna they're gonna change they're gonna evolve um they'll probably be less intense at three or four months but it's gonna still be a good beer and i think that people have this misconception about new england style ipa oh you got to drink it right away oh you got to drink it in two weeks and honestly i think it's better about a month in and then when it's really really it's it's like pasta sauce you gotta let it meld <laughs> and i think it improves and so yeah that idea yeah like i said i'm not into it but i do think that uh as long as people are drinking you know beer within six months which i think is what they should be doing yeah unless it's i mean obviously there's there are specific styles that i think you can hold on to a lot longer and 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 that's okay but i think you know there's no there's no reason to hold on to an adjunct stout or ipa for longer than you know six months
0: yeah what is your responsibility as a brewer to your consumer end then is, is that at six months i mean you know this is it's a strange thing that we start start seeing in the beer world now where you know a year in some a beer develops some strange uh, you know starts developing some off flavors you know and something will happen to be in there and it sat warm at seventy degrees in somebody's basement for for a year, and and now it's expressing a different kind of character that's not what the brewer intended. You know, does uh, you know, is is it the brewer's responsibility then? You know, a year after the fact to you know to make good on that because they somehow failed a consumer. I mean, yeah, you know, these aren't. It's not a cut and dry question. Yeah. I mean,
1: I you know these are kind of kind of you know things you have to feel your way through. Uh, it's a it's definitely a gray area. Yeah. And you want you want to know that people are storing the beer properly. I think that. All beer should be stored cold. Yeah, and that's not what happens. But um, you know, it is—it is our responsibility as brewers to try to educate people on how they should store their beer a little bit, since we're we're you know selling them a product. So you know, we're if we feel like if we feel like, first off, I don't want anybody to be disappointed ever. Yeah, our our business is built upon making people happy. And I want people to have a good time and feel good about our products and and if there is something wrong with our beers, we will take care of it, yeah, and you know i mean i'm not gonna if someone brings me a bottle we released three years ago, but they just opened and said it was bad i'm probably gonna that's that's a they're gonna have to just eat that one that's that's a little too far out, but if yeah, somebody brings yeah. a beer back and they're like, "Hey, this was infected you know i'm not I'm not here to you know, I don't want to be taken advantage of, but I also don't want people to be disappointed. So yeah. we always try to make it right in some way. Yeah. We it, haven't had a lot of, ha- we haven't had really much of that happen, but you know, even people just break glassware. Yeah. Like we've, you know, people have walked out the door, dropped a glass on the sidewalk and we're like, well, here's another one, you know, <laughs> like it's not as I don't want to do that all the time, but yeah. you, you want to take care of your customers. Right. So those are the right. people that are, those are the people that keep your lights on. That creates a you know, a positive
0: experience for them where, you know, you as a business are going above and beyond and they know you don't have to do that, but they also know that you care about that. And I mean, you know, when you're talking about beer, you're trying to you know, it's not about making one sale, it's about building a relationship, you know, of your brand with that consumer, you know, and and fans so that they keep coming back and keep buying your thing. And that that becomes that way to build a more long standing relationship rather than this kind of short
1: one. Um, so probably a better long term payoff for that yeah i mean I think that i i know I know it works i mean we've yeah. we've developed kind of what I consider what we have around our brewery as a community there's a lot of people that come here on a regular basis and they're they're friends with each other and they've we've we've built up it's more than just a brewery now it's like yeah a, it, is, it is it is a community here, and we're i mean i think we're incredibly lucky that that's yeah. sprung up around us so
0: that's you know and i think that's probably both a blessing and a curse and i'd love to talk to that for you know for a minute this uh line culture of when you release a new beer you know you got folks or you know you just went through your anniversary your fifth anniversary week and uh released new beers all week long and there were folks you know lining up the night before and putting chairs out and uh you know folks hiring people to stand in line for them and the, the whole nine yards and, and uh uh, I, I joined your other half everything Facebook group to watch this uh, from afar, you know, a few months ago, and it's been fascinating to watch both the kind of polarizing opinions, um, you know, that your hardcore fans have, where they love things and they hate things, and all those passions, you know, kind of kind of come to a head. For you as a business, how do you? you know, I mean, the passion is great. You want your consumers to be that excited about what you do, where they want to do this, but it also creates a crazy responsibility to fulfill those kinds of expectations and to also kind of make sure the experience as people come and do that together is is a good one and not just a negative one how do you how do you deal with that how do you deal with the that kind of that kind of feedback and uh and some of the the pain that comes from that level of passion and excitement
1: so right away we've just we've kind of come to the conclusion the we are now more of a hospitality company almost than a brewery yeah um it's you know, our main goal—we're like trying to take care of people that come here, and we do so much of our business direct to customer that yeah. we've realized that that is that is how we have to focus our energies—is making sure that people feel taken care of and that when they stand in line that they're going to get the beer they want. And managing all that is—you know—it it took a lot of it took a lot of time to figure out. Our—you know—my partner Andrew has been done the lion's share of the work on that, and. It, there was always going to be people that are upset about certain aspects of it um and you know we hear about that usually through social media but there's always the you know the, the majority of people are not complaining and you just see the ones that are but we've worked we've worked really hard to streamline all of our processes make the lines short and also we've 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 tried to make more beer because ultimately the thing that the thing that solves a lot of the problems is making beer available to people, and it's kind of cool to have people freak out and wait in line, and you blow through all the beer in two hours and you're done, and like that's a that's a you know I guess you know your ego loves that you're like oh that's cool everybody loves our beer, but then you realize that there's so many people that are missing out on the opportunity to try the beer, and that's not really as a company we want more people to try it, so we've been striving to make more beer and make it more accessible and we have these you know we still have some crazy releases like obviously our fifth anniversary was insane right and but that's not how it's normally that's not how it normally is around here you know on a saturday there'll be people here waiting in line they'll buy some beer and then we'll have some beer left over and then people come all day long and buy the remaining beer because they know now they don't have to do the line thing but that i think what people need to realize about the line the line culture is is that it's not just about the beer everybody everybody's like why would anybody wait in line for beer that's crazy and that's not that's not what it is man this is it's about it's about the community that builds up around it um i always i kind of compare it obviously in a much smaller scale to like a grateful dead concert and people like traveling around following these things and these people they form community and friendships and everybody's doing it because they like hanging out together and that's really what's happened with you know the our customers they're very involved with each other they hang out they come here because they want to see each other and hang out and it's not just about it's not just about the beer we're selling it's it's about the community that's come up around it and uh, like a perfect example for our our pre- The week before our anniversary, we released a lot of collabs we had done over the years with other breweries and that we liked, customers liked. So it's kind of a curated list. And we actually let some of our best customers do posts. So they, they wrote the posts, they took the photos, they prepped it all. And first, they were excited to do it. And then when they posted it, and their friends saw that they had done the post for it they were like excited for each other and like just the amount of energy around that and how excited people were and just the positivity it was amazing and that's that's like we we knew that was there but watching that was it was it was
0: incredible so you're building not just fans but advocates and uh and uh you know uh, engaging those folks that are influential even in in what you do as this running this hospitality business
1: these are i mean these are the people that keep keep our lights on yeah like i i for us we just see it as our duty to help like i if I want them to have the best experience they possibly can have, and you know we're like even our anniversary party itself is largely people that we invite that are, yeah. that are great customers. And it's, it's free. It's, yeah. our, it's our like, thank you to them for, and, and we we've also been really focused on trying to steer away from the negativity. There's a lot of, you see a lot of negativity online right. with on social media and we will never ever engage that. Yeah, You'll never see us respond to that. And sometimes it's, you know, it's painful to see people say things, critique things, and you know you're trying your best to help everybody and you're like man why are people still going after us and you know but I think that because we've largely ignored it and tried to stay positive that most of that has gone away and we have I think we have a really positive community that's built up around the brewery now um
0: you're uh, in the midst of some significant expansions. You're you're opening up a brewery in Rochester that uh, you know you've purchased from a defunct brewery and are uh, you know spinning that up as and you're going to focus on some different kinds of beer up there. You just announced you're going into a new spot in Williamsburg here in Brooklyn to open a second uh, you know brewery tap room. In, in today's environment, you have uh, you know an increasing number of breweries or what appears to be an increasing number of breweries, you know, citing like market uh, conditions for, you know, going out of business and, and uh, putting, you know, taking these businesses down. Um, you know, you know, it's starting to become a kind of common mantra across the craft beer world. Like, Oh, the market's getting so hard. It's, you know, it's tough to, to build in it. The, in the midst of this environment, you guys are undertaking some pretty significant expansion Um, you know, how do you, how how do you, how's that jive? Like, how do you, like, you know, make sense of the fact that certain, you know, there's market contraction or at least a market plateau that's creating pressure for, for some folks and, uh, you know, making their, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel for their businesses kind of, you know, uh, fall off while at the same time, you know, there are still opportunities for, you know, that you see out there in the market that you're willing to invest in and uh, and to grow your business. Um, You know, what, how does how's that work, and uh, where, where do you see the opportunity there?
1: Well, I think the misconception is that we're going to be producing a lot of beer. Yeah. I mean, we are adding capacity outside of Rochester of about 5,000 barrels. That is not very much beer. Right, right. Um, what we are trying to do is create more direct customer uh Situations, And, you know, that's what we're that's I think that's one of our strengths is that we, you know, we're very good. Our staff is very good at engaging the public and being involved. And like I said, we've become more of like a hospitality company almost at this point because of that. And I think that there's no better way. There's no better way to get customers than to be able to engage them directly. And the more the more opportunities we create for that, the better Williamsburg, you know, also in New York City, it's like four miles from us, <laughs> right? But yeah. but New York City is such a big place that there's people that live in Williamsburg that will never come to our brewery here just because it's super inconvenient for them. Yeah. But we do want to, again, we're not, we want to create opportunities for people to come and engage us directly. And I think when people get the opportunity to come to our brewery and meet our people, that they want to come back. And so you know, we're going to have a small brewery in Williamsburg, um, just because we like to have, have beer made on location. Yeah. Um, I, think that's really, I think that's really important. But it's, it's not going to be very much beer. It's just not. Like, we're not. Right. We're not right. I think that's, I think that's the, the problem with the industry right now is that the, the older model, which is breweries going only distro, your margins are so terrible until you get to a really large size. And then when you get to that large size, then you're vulnerable to changes in the market. And so it's it's hard to be nimble and change. And you really can't pull back when you've invested in producing and creating a really large brewery. And I think that, you know, that's where the, that's where the fear is right now. I think staying small, like, you know, people automatically are like, oh, my God, other oh, hats getting so big. It's not we're not getting that much bigger. Yeah. But we are trying to we are trying to just have more direct customer opportunity. Yeah. Now, this will barely barely squeak you into that kind of regional brewery category
0: from your your current small category um, that's an interesting point that you know that for these businesses and and you know, you do have to kind of manage and keep your production just under the that ultimate demand for it um but I have to kind of track that and how do you, how do you you know even pay attention to that uh you know and you know
1: analyze like you know how much more you can grow well. I mean, I think we're, we've been lucky so far in that our, the amount of beer we make has just been dictated by the amount of space we have. Um, And, you know, like I said, in the beginning, we couldn't produce that much beer. We didn't have the equipment we needed to do it. And we would have can releases and we didn't have enough beer and people just gave up. Yeah. And so then it kind of looked like, well, this is the amount of beer we can sell. But really what happened is we made more beer. We were able to expand and make more beer available. And then the people that didn't want to wait in line came back. Yeah. And that's like, like I said, it's ultimately what we want. It's like we have we have the customers that want to have the experience of hanging out with their with their friends and our yeah. staff and be part of the culture here at the brewery. And then there's customers that are like, I just wanted to come get beer yeah. and leave. Yeah. And I want to we wanted to be able to respect both of those groups of people. Right, and make it make it fun for the people that are that are like here all the time and love it and part of the culture and you know yeah
0: that's, I think that's an interesting piece, like um when I was up at Treehouse a few months ago they were we were talking yeah. to them, and they were saying, you know with the original brewery and the small can limits that they that they of the beer that they could produce, you know they could draw on about an hour you know uh, 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 circumference around the or uh, uh radius around the brewery an hour. Any direction, you know, because that's about as far as somebody was willing to go drive to go line up and wait for a couple hours to get six cans of something, you know, like you know, yeah, like it's just not. But now, you know, when they were projecting for the new brewery with this larger volume, they started, you know, if now people can come and buy a couple of cases, well, that that radius gets out to about a three hour thing because now somebody can come and they, you know, once a month rather than once a week. You know but they can stock up and that seems to be a similar dynamic for you where now it's worth it for people to make the trip you know um, because they can get more even if they're not coming as often you know they they can make any individual trip more worthwhile for
1: them absolutely I mean we have so many tourists here yeah and I don't, I don't mean just from you know around the on the East Coast we have tourists from the UK I mean we have a lot of UK tourists People from Brazil all the time. Just yeah. Europe in general, and I mean, you don't want them to be—you don't want them to be disappointed, right? Like they come here and we don't have cans. Yeah, but now we do, and I, you know, I see this all the time. People are like, "Oh, are you guys going to have cans?" And it's like, we will have something. <laughs> it may not be the thing that you're yeah. looking for yeah. specifically, um, but we we always have something. Yeah, and you know, it'll it'll if you don't come. If you see us post a beer you're excited about and you don't come within a day or two, you might miss it, yeah. but there will be something else. Right. And that's really, you know, that's it's that's way preferable. The last thing right. I want to do is have people come here that traveled from, you know, 3,000 miles away and say, "Yeah, I'm sorry." Yeah. Like that's yeah. that doesn't that doesn't make us feel good. Like we want to we want to make things available to people because that's how you make people happy. Yeah. So what's next? What do you, what's exciting you about beer in general right now? Well, I mean, I think for us, I think we're pretty comfortable in our, in our own clothes when it comes to the IPA game. Um, we're feeling pretty good about stouts. Um, I think that the thing that we're most excited about right now is, uh, is our – it's going to be a while, so do not jump <laughs> the gun. But we are working on, a, on actually having a mixed culture, spontaneous – Brewery upstate, right? I mean, it's not a separate brewery; it's part of our Rochester location. But we brought on uh, Eric Salazar from New Belgium uh, this month, yeah. And we're going to start working on that program. I don't expect that to be our bread and butter, but it's a it's a passion project for us. I mean, that we're that we are interested in, and I'm hoping we're going to get people really interested in. Um, you know, it's for us. It's about just expanding our offerings to people, and and I mean, tell you right, I tell stream, you right now, it's yeah. what gets our brewers excited. Yeah, so. yeah. that's uh, I, I think that's right. It keeps it, it's something new
0: for you all to tackle to make something that you enjoy drinking, and uh, you know, to add your particular vision and spin onto you know what another half version of those kinds of beers could be.
1: Yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Cool, awesome.
0: Well, we're excited to have you come up to, to Maine for our, uh, our Brewers Retreat in Booth Bay Harbor. And, uh, you know, if anyone out there wants to brew with Sam on a 15-gallon homebrew setup this summer, uh, there are only a few more tickets uh, left for that one at uh, BrewersRetreat.com. It's going to be a great time. We've got some, you know, awesome folks coming up. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to you joining us. Yeah, time. I'm looking forward to it as well. Cool. Um, many thanks to our sponsors that helped us bring you this episode. GD Chillers sets the standard for glycol chilling. Celebrate the best hobby there is at HomebrewCon bsg ingredients bring the world to your brew house and pack tech handles are the smart and sustainable choice sam thanks for joining us on the craft beer and brewing podcast appreciate you taking time on this busy uh, start of new york beer week and yeah think, uh, thanks for having me of course we'll see you soon okay cheers this podcast is brought to you by craft beer and brewing magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.